So, we're all in the middle of some real Twilight Zone stuff here. And uh, I thought a little extra message would be would be useful, just so you guys all know, the listeners, that um, we had way more interest in this show by, uh, by guests than we anticipated. So before any of this pandemic stuff broke out, we had six months plus of shows already recorded. So if you're listening and wondering why we're not addressing this at all, it's because these were all uh, recorded six months ago um, or four or three or two months ago, but all before any of this happened. So yeah, you won't hear any mention of pandemic or coronavirus for quite a while on this show. Um, We figure everyone else is covering it so thoroughly that uh, you may enjoy having a podcast to listen to that isn't all about the coronavirus. Anyway, stay safe and enjoy the show. Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the Yippie Market Podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. Yippie Market is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, joined by co-host Carla Jo Helms. Hi, guys. And today we'll Hi, be... Guy. <laughs> Hi, Guy. Hi, hey, we'll Guy. Hey, Guy. Hey, Guy. We've got uh, Guy Yalif uh, on with us today. Um, he is the CEO of Intellimize, and uh, we're talking about practical AI for B2B marketing. Um, as the co-founder and CEO of Intellimize, Guy Yalif uh, has been putting AI directly into the hands of marketers for several years. Prior to Intellimize, he held a number of senior marketing positions at major media and technology companies, including vice president of global marketing at Right role and head of global product and vertical marketing at Twitter, as well as leadership roles at Yahoo, Microsoft, Boston Consulting Group, and Tradeweave. Guy graduated summa cum laude. See, you graduated summa cum laude. I can't even say summa cum laude. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> AKA, he's a badass. How about right. that? From uh, Princeton University in mechanical and aerospace engineering and was an uh, RJ Miller scholar at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. So yeah, guy, you have more um, bona fides than I can even pronounce. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on the show today, Sky and KJ. Thanks for having me. Honor to join you. Looking forward to this. I really think that your mechanical and aerospace engineering degree has everything to do with the positions that you've held. So I want to hear all about it. <laughs> KJ, I'm with you. There's a straight line from designing airplanes to being a B2B marketer. Everybody does I know, that, right? I know. Everyone. Everyone does that. Some people say most marketers come from sales, but no, they come from aerospace engineering. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's so logical. Tell us the story. How did you end up not designing spaceships and, and, and airplanes? How did you end up in B2B marketing and uh, AI? I uh, spent half of college coding AI to design airplanes and loved it. Thought I was going to do that for the rest of my life. Wait, um, AI and- for airplanes? So you were, you were coding, coding AI-, AI for airplanes? Because you were like, hey, why should I design the airplane? I'm going to have a computer do it. I was trying to do what was then state of the art. Now things have evolved quite a bit to take some of what really experienced aerospace engineers that I looked up to new, build that into something called an expert system to do preliminary airplane design. And I loved it, had a great time doing it. So was it doing the actual wow. engineering design and then you started saying, wait a second, this airplane is looking a lot like a Terminator and pulled the plug? 
<laughs> it was the, that particular thesis in college was, in fact, trying to do the early part of airplane design, where you'd like, oh, I'll take a wing here and an engine there, and we're going to go this far. It wasn't the detailed, like, I spent three months of my life baking flexible wiring to figure out that the number of layers of flexible wiring in the box that gets attached as the brain to the engine in a 777 should have five layers instead of three layers. Like that was three months of my life. That was not what this AI was doing. This AI was like much more macro early. So you're doing the, the Lego stage of building an airplane. You're like, let's do exactly. a an engine. I like that. It and uh, <laughs> some tires. Let's put some tires on it. They probably don't call them tires. <laughs> no, they're tires. You nailed it. They're very, very expensive tires. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what, aside from the flexible wiring, uh, what made you decide to, to change directions there? A bunch of friends had, were trying management consulting, and I thought, hey, uh, I'll try that for a year, and if I don't enjoy it, fortunately, I'm in a place where like, I've got enough credentials to go back to aerospace. Enjoyed it a bunch, did it for three years. They then kick you out, make you go to grad school, did that. Then thought I'd, I'd gone to heaven, come into Silicon Valley, where this place where understanding technology and being good at business are a good combination. And so I spent 10 years as a product guy and then another 10 years as a marketing guy uh, and have enjoyed that tremendously, feeling very fortunate to work with a great set of teams over the years. Guy, you look incredibly young to have spent 10 years in so many different things. You are very generous. I need to have you talk to my wife to say similar things. <laughs> he graduated college when he was like 10, right? Oh, yeah, there's that, yeah. <laughs> um, Our so, VP of sales, by coincidence, is a, was also an aerospace engineer, and he did graduate college, I think, in like 19 or something. Wow. I did not. <laughs> wow. Wow. They only hire so It's actually not there. uncommon to have you aerospace engineers end up in, you know, tech for marketing or... <laughs> in his company everywhere yes, else both of us. it doesn't exist yes he has all of them <laughs> um so can you tell us kind of so you ended up what do you do on a daily basis now yeah what does your company do what do you do there so in telemas the company we automatically optimize websites we personalize them for each unique visitor in the moment using machine learning to drive either more revenue more customers or more leads to sales depending on the kind of business uh that, that you've got and me individually, um, I am trying to help us better connect what makes our customers successful, what will get them promoted, what will make them heroes in their company to what we're building and how we're talking about it in market. Interesting. So and how do you do that? Like, how do you change a website for the user that comes? We will take everything we know about it. Three words or less. In three words or less. No, I'm kidding you. <laughs> he says, we're really smart. That's it. Yeah. So automatically, that was good. No, how do you do that in a nutshell? You, you, you connect into the stuff that we as marketers are uniquely great at doing. So there's always somebody at one of our customers whose tail's on the line for a number, more revenue, more customers, more leads to sales. And they spend a lot of their time crawling inside the head of their prospects. Right? They're empathizing with them, walking a day in their shoes. And then we all spend a lot of time trying to figure out ways to persuade that prospect to become a customer. Right? We go, oh, we'll try this messaging. We'll try this offer. We'll try this value prop. We then take all those ideas and in milliseconds figure out what's the right combination of those to show this visitor now 
to get them to do one or multiple things the marketer wanted them to do, to sign up for a webinar, to you know, become a lead for sales, to download that white paper. Uh, and so the machine learning is in real time figuring out that right combination for that visitor. So if you and I go to one of our customers' websites now, we'll see different things potentially. And if you come back a week later, you may have done different things. The machine learning may have learned more. So you may actually see something different then because it continually learns. Got it. Interesting. So early versions of, of kind of the automatic optimization of websites um, did things like grab a screenshot of the visitor's website to show them, hey, here's what your website would look like with our tool on it or something like that. It seems like what you guys are doing is more around um, helping decide what customer journey to put a particular visitor into than showing them specific, um, you know, like a specific demo, uh, showing them the, here's today's newspaper with your, you know, with your name on it type of a type of a customization. Is that, would that be accurate to say? Is it about the customer journey for that user? It is. And that journey may in fact have as part of it, here's your name on today's newspaper. It may have something else in it, right? It may be a different flow through the site. It may be a different look and feel uh, throughout, right? We, we have, you know, some customers that have like very different customer segments. You know, there are two-sided marketplaces where you've got a buyer and a seller. Mm -hmm. Usually they treat everyone the same. Well, wouldn't it be great if the entire experience were oriented to one or the other? Or I know no one listening to this podcast has ever done this and I've, I've never done this as a marketer. Ha ha ha. But well, I'll treat like returning customers the exact same way I treat a prospect. I'll try to sell them on this thing they've already bought when in fact I've got this great opportunity to upsell them, cross sell them, tell them the latest thing we've done for them, show us our latest, show them our latest thought leadership and we can then help meet prospects and customers where they are in their journey with you so that they get more out of your service and are more likely to become a customer. Does that make sense? Interesting. Yeah. It seems like a website as it exists now, maybe without what you guys do and similar things, um, is the worst version of a physical store in that the information's there, but in a physical store, you usually have a human being. It's basically like a vending machine. doesn't matter if you've been there before, everything's the same. It's not, it's not catered at all. And I guess with AI, if it's used to make better experiences through personalization, can kind of turn that into more of a concierge type thing where it's there to give you what, um, more of what you're looking for rather than you just showing up at the you know, XYZ store and having to sort through all the shelves yourself. It kind of knows who you are, what your preferences are, you know, what your favorite drink is, that kind of, that kind of stuff. Um, it dawns on me there's been a lot going on with data privacy recently. And I remember talking to some AI and machine learning guys about the issues around data privacy and how they can't create the AI they used to at IBM. They said that we wouldn't be able to make Watson today because the data is all siloed. And when they made hmm. that, they had access to all the data across IBM. Um, and now they, they're just restricted so much with what they can access in order to, you need apparently I'm, you're the expert, not me, but they, they were saying you need a lot of data to run AI, run machine learning to, for it to learn. Yeah, how much data do you actually have to have to do what you do to customize a site for a prospect that comes? Great questions. And you both triggered a couple of things. If, if I may take a half step back and then answer you directly. 
on the the meta point you made before, I am unabashedly a believer in personalization. I think it produces better outcomes, better experiences for us as prospects, us as consumers, and um, for marketers. We liken it to like shoes. Our websites generally treat everyone the same. And I happen to know men's shoe sizes better than women. So let's say it's like saying every guy listening to this podcast needs to wear a size 10 and a half shoes because <clears throat> that's the average shoe size for men in America. Sounds ridiculous. But we do it with our websites all the time. And in fact, it's worse because we make a choice and we leave it there essentially forever. So it's like saying you have to wear that size 10 and a half shoe from the day you're born until mm. the day you die, which is totally silly. But we do it all the time online. And so we believe, I personally believe, there's so much more opportunity to add value, to grow businesses, to make money when you meet prospects and customers where they are in their life cycle with you based on whom they are. You can give them in that metaphor the right shoe size as they're growing up. And then on the data front, totally agree with you that um, most of the systems out there today require a lot of data. In fact, most of the machine learning companies you hear about, many in B2B, need a big pile of data to go have a scientist train a model and then push that model out there so you get benefits from it. It's, um, in some cases, it's like data scientist as a service. And in some scenarios, like predictive lead scoring, I think it makes total sense, where you've got companies that'll say, give me all the history of the companies you've acquired as customers. I'm gonna go find out what they have in common and then predict Will future customers share some of those attributes? And we'll say they're high predicted lead score versus low. On websites, in particular in B2B, you never have a lot of data. You know, a, a super successful website might have, I don't know, a couple thousand pages a day. You know, that might be a lot. Okay, there are the mega ones that have more, but most of us don't. So it happens that the flavor of machine learning that we chose to use doesn't work that way. Ours happens to incrementally build Every few minutes, it gets better at predicting human behavior incrementally based on what it's learned. It doesn't need a big pile. In fact, it starts with none. And it keeps refining itself based on human behavior. Now, the upside is you don't need any data to get started. You also then have something that's continually evolving. The other thing it gets you, if you take this approach to machine learning rather than the batch approach, if you run a promotion or you have an event, normal big pile of data testing doesn't work for you because it, it takes too long. This will react in hours typically when, when something changes like that. Does that resonate? Interesting. Yeah. So what you're saying I just is how, how, how <laughs> it's really machine learning. It's not AI. It's, I mean, it's how much of a difference is there between those, those two things? I think kind of the same thing. So people use them often very interchangeably and yeah. in the, in, in the broader context, um, we see AI, and when we talk to a bunch of data scientists, I think most would agree to this. So you've got not using AI, and in the context of like website optimization, A-B testing is that, where you're just flipping a coin, and then the AI is really our heads as marketers, right? We need mm -hmm. to see the results and pick a winner. Which isn't very artificial. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, so you're really totally. doing a, a, you have a single, what, a single transistor uh, AI that's just a B test. That's not, you've got a brain with one neuron um, when you do an A-B test or maybe two. Yeah. And then uh, within AI, 
is there are many different branches. The branches that I think matter to us the most as marketers, the, the core distinction is rules-based versus machine learning. So if you're doing rules-based uh, AI, you're doing a bunch of if this, then that statements. And in fact, most of the companies that say they're doing AI-based personalization are doing this, where you might say, hey, look, you know, somebody came high predicted lead score. If this, then I'm going to show them the phone number to talk to sales and hide the self-serve path. Or if they're in New York, I'm going to do messaging related to the New York Yankees. Or if it's the weekend, I'm going to give them the weekend messaging. Right. But that's and more so of that's an one. automator than an artificial intelligence. That's why I see a lot of people out there saying they have AI and we're like, you have two if then statements. That's not artificial intelligence. I'm sorry. And it's not learning either. So it's not machine learning. I mean, how much, I know, I'm sorry, I don't want to distract you, but maybe after this one, how much <laughs> fraud is there out there in people claiming AI in their products? So in fact, uh, I, I, I think you're spot on minus the fraud part where the data scientists would say rules is AI. Machine learning is another kind of AI. And it's the kind I think most of us intuitively think about AI. So us non-data scientists, we would say, hey, rules-based is just that. It's a bunch of if-then statements. That's not AI. I think data scientists would say, yes, it is. But ML is now a machine teaching itself. You're giving it some data. You're then training a model. You're having a model do a good job of predicting the future based on that data. And then you apply the model in the real world. You see, hey, did it do a good job of predicting the future? That also gives you more data and you feed it back in. And so almost all the companies we see out there, in particular in website optimization, that say they're doing AI are, are doing rules-based. And a much smaller handful are doing machine learning. That's one distinction. If like, are they being truthful? They are being truthful, but you need to know this additional context. The differentiation, it, yeah. But I mean, if you have and, one if then statement, it's not AI, right? That's, is there, is well, there, I don't think so. that I mean, line you draw you say, okay, you've got 10,000 if then statements, now it's AI. Versus when you have a single amoeba, you don't say it's an intelligent life form. And practically none of us will go to the 10,000. So we, the, our experience matches your intuition where, you know, we as marketers would say, look, I'm going to do an if then statement. I'm going to stick to website optimization just because it's a familiar topic. So there you might say, oh, hey, this is better than doing one website for everybody. Now I can use a rule to personalize for different folks. Awesome. I like this. I'm going to do more of this. And you have five rules, 10 rules, a few tens of rules. If you just wanted to do a rule for every city in the U.S., you'd have 37,000 of them. None of us would ever go manage that. And in fact, practically, we see most of us, anecdotally, topping out at a few tens of rules. And we get frustrated because then it takes a lot of energy to maintain them. And then somebody might say, okay, now I want to use machine learning. And, and, and that ha can have then the machine, uh, in essence, creating the rules. It's not literally creating rules, but in essence doing that. It's kind of adjusting if-then rules. Is that, I was just about to ask that. Is it creating its own if-thens based on its experience? So it turns out within machine learning, there are several different branches, one of which looks like if this, then that statements. There are a bunch of other ways for the machine learning to structure itself, to be structured, a bunch of different algorithms. And what we have found really important to us as marketers is when you're choosing that, to keep in mind a couple of things. One, picking the right algorithm, which I think in like the press and in common intuition, we'd be like, if I pick the right algorithm, I've got it. That's like 20% of the problem. 
you talk to experienced folks who do this day in and day out, more than half the problem is some super unglamorous work around how do I have clean data? How do I represent the data? Like, like, what time is it now? Oh my gosh, that's like every industry, right? It's the super totally. glamorous. Actually, I understand the practicality of it now. It becomes the practicality of managing it. Really. That's what yes. I see. And the, there are, it's super valuable to find folks who spent time in your problem in machine learning because it is still evolving because thoughtful, experienced people will take different approaches to solving similar problems that could cost your company, you know, quarters, halves, years. Um, and, and so to get the right practicality to learn quickly, it, it, it's worth either finding a partner who has that experience or if you're going to hire in-house, paying up for it and the paying up can be kind of expensive. So regularly changing your AI programmer is a really bad idea is what I'm hearing. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the challenges we find is to find out whether your AI programmer is good or bad takes a long time. Like you hire a front end engineer and you know whether she or he is good pretty quickly. You see the code in the, the website. AI, it's, it can so often be more subtle and take longer to find out. Uh, and so even if you're looking to hire someone, having someone who's experienced in the space to help evaluate that person yeah. is valuable. Because when you bring them on board, it's going to be a long time for you to figure right. out. If I hire an AI guy, I won't even know if the person knows how to code. Like, <laughs> you, you know AI? Yes. Okay. When can you get started? Uh, it turns out doesn't. Guy's <laughs> an AI guy. Right. <laughs> I wrote a couple of statements. I guess I am. Uh, you're in. And given so, what an attractive job title it is right now, a lot of people are saying that. You mentioned multiple types of machine learning. Which type, and I'm only asking this because the listeners are going to be upset if I don't, which type is the Terminator? <laughs> you know, we um, don't believe in the approach. You know, really, it's, it's like, I think it makes for great, great movies. Um, and I think in reality, the best outcomes uh, happen when we are pairing humans and machine learning. So I think it's like AI is all around us, right? It helped us as consumers, all of us probably today, figure out how we're going to get to work or somewhere faster, avoid spam emails, figure out which movie or TV show we're going to watch as B2B marketers. It probably helped us deliver the right creative message to the right prospect today, engage with customers online via chatbot or generate lead scores. It's all around us. We think it can help us get more done, deliver more value to our customers, contribute more to our companies, and that it's best applied in partnership with people um, because it's not particularly great at doing some things that we are uniquely good at doing as people right now. One is human empathy. Question. <laughs> you started out saying we don't believe, and I'm like, wait, are you telling me AI, the AI community as a whole? movies believe it's for movies. ai can go wrong um i so I think elon now Musk is I mean, talking all the time and i think that maybe he, he was the guy i was gonna bring up child of of uh that the person you guys throw darts at in your in your break room um of saying hey ai could do something bad so now when i said we i meant me and my colleagues here the broader ai community I read the same press you do. I see Elon Musk and other very smart people saying this is potentially very, very dangerous and we need to be thoughtful about how we use it. Uh, and I, I must admit, uh, one humble 
you know, marketer to two others. I, I don't have additional insight beyond that. It does make logical sense that we do need to be thoughtful about how we apply it. Um, uh, and I think for us as marketers, some of us are sometimes worried before it reaches Terminator, it's going to get me fired. It's going to kick me out of my job. Well, that is Terminator. You're terminated. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's the real Terminator maybe is uh, see, you've been terminated um, type of Terminator. I know you meant in a different way, but so in the maybe more realistic version of that direction you're talking about where AI doesn't need to, although you were trying to have AI design physical fighter jets so or, or whatever type of planes you were working on um, in the, more realistic version of AI that lives in a computer and does a very, very specific tasks. A concern I've had is marketers' use of AI. Um, and that marketers, when you say the human is tied to it, but the problem there is the, the human might be good, but the human might also be bad. And if you make AI readily available to all marketers, a high percentage of us don't always do the right thing. Um, and we will use whatever tool we're given to our outcome. You know, we're saying if you're told we need more leads pushed to sales, you're going to do whatever it takes to push more leads to sales. And that's not always what's right. And now you have this very powerful AI tool at your disposal that you don't really know how it works, but you know you can point it in a direction and pull the trigger. And my concern is that marketers tend to overuse whatever they're given. And generally it's, you know, the big companies may do it for one reason. The people in the middle are kind of comfortable. And then the small companies, the startups, are also very aggressive for a completely different reason for survival. Um, my concern is that the people who are looking to survive um, or the very large companies seem to have less ethics in mind frequently when they look at something like AI and how they're going to apply it in marketing. And once you make it readily available to them, not everybody, but some people will use it to exploit how they're marketing. And rather than making, um, making better experiences for their customers and personalizing stuff, they're going to use it to exploit and take advantage of and manipulate, um, manipulate people. So, so that's kind of your my question is, how do we that. stop that? Yes. How, I guess, the I don't question? know if I have a question. I'm just making a blanket statement. <laughs> I mean, that's my fear with AI. It's not that we're going to have a Terminator that's going to be used in the, you know, in the, physically against people, but the Terminator you're talking about, and not just it's going to make people's jobs unnecessary, but its goal is going to be to generate leads regardless. It's going to be something like we're seeing with Russia, you know, tampering with elections. One of the things you said was with AI, once it gets big enough part of what it's doing is more than a human mind could do without being driven crazy, trying to handle all these different variables very quickly. So you see things like these algorithms that are manipulating stock markets. And once you can manip manipulate things like stock markets and social media and that stuff real time, because you have this super fast AI, I, I'm just worried that when you guys turn this over to non AI people, we're not going to use it right. Well, I think maybe the question is more like, what are the best practices, you know, or, so that we have industry standards that are not going to junk up, you know, marketing for us? Because MarTech is not going anywhere. AI marketing is not going anywhere. And should you have what to have a driver's best? license to operate AI? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. 
So you triggered a few things. One is that uh, I'll take at least myself as a marketer, not super seriously and say that, you know, um, I'm not uh, driving a car, which can hurt someone if misapplied. I'm not, uh, you know, um, firing a weapon, which could be really bad if misapplied. I'm like putting a message in front of someone. Uh, and so the, the, the misuse uh, magnitude is less than like some of the other things that can affect life and limb. Uh, one, two, um, that we already have a bunch of those tools at our disposal, right? We already have the ability to put ads in front of somebody, the ability to target them, the ability to, you know, um, send them an email or a billboard or a magazine or direct mail uh, or a digital ad. Um, uh, to the best practices question, I, I think we can use it to amplify a bunch of the work that we are doing because we are uniquely great at thinking about our prospects. We're uniquely great at having empathy for them. You know, we need to empathize with our prospects and our customers uh, and know what it's like to walk a day in their shoes so that we can better connect what we're doing into what will help make them successful, one. And two, to this point, humans are uniquely great at creativity. You know, we need to come up with ideas that take that next step to, to help our prospects take that next step, whether it's buying a product, asking for a demo, going from free to paid, upselling. Like, we need creativity to come up with those, just like we have always needed to do in our ads, right? We need to do the same things in the ads we've been doing for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years online. AI can then help us better apply those to help move people through our funnel. And so if somebody is going to be, you know, a knucklehead marketer in one medium, they can continue being that knucklehead marketer. If somebody is trying to genuinely connect with their prospects and meet them where they are, AI can be a really valuable tool for doing that, I believe. And you know what? Just like with science and just like with AI, there are natural laws of life. And those knucklehead marketers do get penalized because at the end of the day, eventually, people won't do business with them. You know, that's just the consequence, right? Just like you have a, a scientific formula that has a result, there are consequences of abusing things, right? I don't think you can stop human behavior from trying to game a system, but it really comes down to the results. That's where you the determiner actually comes in. It says, you're abusing AI, <laughs> I'm going to have to put you down. <laughs> so yeah. I guess before we go to the break, Guy, um, one last question in this line, and then we'll get more back into kind of practical AI for B2B marketing. Uh, but do you think that there should be increased penalties for people who use AI in a crime versus just commit a crime? Transparently, I don't have a point of view on that. So there's certain things that that multiply the criminality, the the a criminal act. Um, if you you know if you do X while committing a crime, there's a larger sentence for it. Let's say, and I'm wondering if somebody you know if you use a gun in the commission of a crime, it's a larger sentence than if not. Um, if you use AI in the commission of a crime, should it be a larger penalty than just committing the crime at regular human rates? I guess you'd say. <laughs> I understand the question. I don't yeah. have a point of view on it transparently. Yeah. I I I I sorry. Yeah. I, I don't I don't have a good one to share. What a fascinating yeah. off topic question. But very fascinating. It's dawned on me that, you know, how do you regulate humans? Well, when we have weapons of potential mass destruction, we tend to 
apply larger penalties to the use of those of those weapons. And AI is, you know, it's fire. It can be used to great good, but it can also burn stuff down in the wrong hands or, or you know, used use improperly. Um, okay, something to, something to think on. We'll come back after the break. You're listening to the Iffy Marketing Very Podcast. Very philosophical. Yeah, talk more about practical AI and B2B marketing and, and less about doom and gloom in, the, uh, in, in AI. Uh, thank you for listening to the Iffy Market Podcast. We'll be right back. As marketers, we should be leading with value and not a form. With Hushly, we give you the ability to lead with value and increase your conversions while at the same time increasing your data quality and your content engagement. Check out Hushly at www.hushly.com. Welcome back to the Iffy Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. I've got uh, co-host Carla Joe Helms here. Carla Joe. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. <laughs> uh, Guy Yaleef of Intellimize. We're talking about practical AI for B2B marketing. A uh, little sidetracked in the, in the first, um, first half there with all the uh, inevitable Terminator talk. Let's get down to the real nuts and bolts of practical AI for B2B marketing. Oh, I have a question. I have a question. I want to know about different size companies that you apply AI to, right? Like from maybe startups to enterprise, you know, Sky was talking about the small, medium, large. What's practical in AI for them? How do you use it with them? How do they benefit from it? Great question. We've been fortunate to work with customers, companies, marketers of all sizes. Um, one thing we've seen common across all of it, you need someone to work with whatever that AI capability is. Uh, let's presume we're talking about vendor now. So you've got a vendor who's using AI. Someone needs to have some time to work with them. And we can go more into that if that's interesting. In larger Kind of like places, a point person? You mean? A point person, yes, because if, you can't just turn it all over to the AI. You know, right. it's, 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 it, we, that's if you look at what's- That's all technology, right? That just like, let's automate it and turn it over. So I don't have to take responsibility for it, right? install the AI plugin, we're done. Yes. Yeah. If you fully turned over, for example, website optimization, something I think about a bunch to AI, you almost certainly would not get more conversions because AI can help maximize the revenue, the lift out of your conversion driving ideas. But you need to have great ideas to have lift at all. Uh, and even the most sophisticated AI today won't be able to position your product or service in the context of the day in the life of your prospect. It won't understand the pain they feel or, you know, as a B2B or uh, emotion you want a consumer to feel in B2C or the goal you want a business prospect to achieve so they can get promoted. Um, so, yes, you can't, regardless of size of company, you can't just turn it over to the AI. One. Two. Um, in, in smaller places, it tends to be that you'll, you'll work with someone outside. You know, we have something that's a little more turnkey uh, because you aren't going to go hire somebody for three, four, five hundred thousand dollars to do machine learning internally. In, in larger places, uh, they may say, hey, you know what? I'm ready for it to take me longer to get benefit from AI and I'm willing to make a bigger investment in return for it having an impact across my org. I'll create something that's more custom to me and it'll have impact, not just in marketing, but in product or in other areas. Um, hmm. uh, and, and they may consider then doing it more in-house than, than, than a smaller company would. Gotcha. Interesting. So would it be safe to say that at certain company sizes, 
kind of analyzing the analytics data and acting on them would be one of the main purposes for AI, one of the main uses maybe in marketing? So interestingly, most of the AI we see in B2B marketing today is applicable across company sizes. You know, we see top of the funnel, all of us having used AI in our ads, right, in Google and Facebook and elsewhere for more than a decade. We see mid-funnel for us as B2B marketers, predictive lead scoring. Um, and as long as you have enough data with enough history, predictive lead scoring can can be great and a great way to go, you know, um, accelerate the business. Lower in the funnel, we see chatbots being used today across company sizes and website optimization, we also see being used across company size. Uh, so practically, we see application throughout. It's the question of then, how do you deploy it? And although I mentioned earlier, hey, large fries may choose to do it in-house, we see a whole lot of them say, look, my business is not about website optimization or chatbots. My business is about whatever it's about. And so I choose not to do this in-house they have more of an option to decide that versus the smaller company may not even have that as a choice. Interesting. Interesting. Do you have any examples of maybe some, some very successful and or unsuccessful implementations of <laughs> AI? We always like the, the, trying the to say the word the implementation. Bad stories, right? Yes. The, the unsuccessful ones do in our experience generally tie back to what we were talking about a couple of minutes ago of like, just turn it all over to the AI uh, that tends not to work super well because the AI has got nothing to work with. Um, successful ones, the examples I've got are more in web optimization. So I'll use that as an example, but the Please. principles apply more broadly. Yeah. Um, Looker, which recently got acquired by Google, said, hey, you know, I've got a, 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 a sales team that it has a voracious appetite for leads. I know none of us as B2B marketers have ever been in that situation, but you know, they, 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 they had that, never. Um, and, and they had huge growth targets. So they said, hey, you know, I've been doing all this stuff manually. By this stuff, I mean, we get a lot of traffic to our website for a B2B company. We wanna convert those prospects into leads for sales. And so they're trying to optimize that part of the prospect journey. They would try A-B testing, try, you know, one idea at a time, wait weeks or months to get an answer. Most of the time they didn't get an answer. And so they applied machine learning to try to tailor that prospect experience on the web to take advantage, get more out of all that traffic. They worked so hard to get through SEO, through original content, through events, through paid ads. Over the course of a couple of years, they tried 433 different ideas on their website that would have taken them decades to do manually using machine learning. They actually tried the tens of millions of possible combinations of those ideas. They then went, they saw, hey, this is producing more leads. Great. They got 30% more downstream, uh, more leads to sales. Uh, so forgive me, 30% more, yeah, leads, lead creation uh, off of their website. But when you went further down the funnel, to their, their, their sales qualified leads, they were only getting 15% more. Now, 15% lift is great. Like their, their sales team liked that, but they wondered if they could be more efficient. And so they then took a look in-house and said, what mid-funnel activity, what activity on our website correlates with somebody becoming a sales qualified lead downstream? And that's the human tweaking element that you were talking about where humans actually step into the AI and say, hey, let's adjust this or that. 
Totally. There was that. And they came up with the ideas, right? Like, let's try this language or that creative. And it turns out one of the stuff ideas they had. And that was based off of their past data, correct? Past successful conversions. Right, exactly. And so they use those past successful conversions to see, okay, it turns out the offer somebody engaged with correlates with them becoming a sales qualified lead downstream. I'll make it up. These aren't the exact numbers, but like somebody who clicked to download the G2 crowd, you know, report converted better than somebody who uh, downloaded the Gartner report, nothing against G2 crowd or Gartner, just as an example, or somebody who yeah. went for a webinar, you know? And so they use that. It just depended they, on like their leads that were coming in, which ones were converting the ones that they're all hottest definitely downloaded the G2 report. So how do you, how do you work with that? So they then said to the AI, Hey, I've got multiple goals, each with its own value. I'm going to say the G in this hypothetical example, the G2 crowd conversion is worth more to me than the Gartner conversion. And they then got 44% more downstream sales qualified leads and 16% fewer leads going to sales, which sales loved. They got more of what they wanted less of what they didn't want. And they used machine learning to help them achieve that based on the ideas that they as humans provided to go optimize right. with. That's hot. So initially just more leads and then analyzing it and saying, now how about more leads that close and less that don't so that we're not getting that vanity lead number. We're getting the actual sales at the end of the uh, end of it all number. You nailed it. And they, like many of us, were a marketing team that really was focused on driving revenue and aligned with sales. So they, to your point, didn't want the vanity. They wanted the revenue. Yeah, it really seems to me in talking to you, and I know you've been using website performance and conversion a lot as a great example. And I think that's a good stable datum for our listeners. But it really seems to me with the amount of people that go to websites that don't convert, that practical AI is a perfect right opportunity to really use it for companies to get those kind of results. It's like, seems to me it, like a open field for you. I I'm know what glad I it resonates, KJ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it resonates for you. And we see AI practically being applied throughout the funnel. We talked about lead scoring earlier. You know, ABM is another flavor of this where you've got sort of human curated rules. Um, Marketing automation, right? Email automation is often a bunch of rules. Uh, chat bots are often a bunch of rules. Um, and then we talked about website optimization and personalization. So we, we see lots of application to help us amplify our unique human empathy and creativity uh, using AI. Yeah, I could really see it all the way through the marketing sales funnel. You know, once you get this one handled, then it's like, you know, a kid in a candy store. Okay, what can we do here? What can we do here? What can we do here? I mean, that's better efficiency, right? Is AI working modular like that guy where, you know, I, I mean, you've already mentioned multiple AI tools that people use in the funnel. So it doesn't seem like you say, let's make one AI that just runs the whole funnel. You've, they're handing off to each other. So you're saying we want to do website optimization with an AI. And then part of that is going to be another AI inside the website that's a chat bot. And then another for the email um, automation type stuff. And so is this really this big collection of intertwined AIs kind of? So at least as we've seen our customers deploy it, some use them independently, some coordinate with them, them with each other. We have a customer who is using Intellimize's AI to choose 
which rules-based chatbot to show. Like they said, hey, here's our chatbot for high-value customers. Here's our chatbot for low-value customers. Here's mm. our chatbot that's going to emphasize the innovation messaging. And so they use the machine learning to say, which one should I show this visitor? Then, based on what comes out of that chat, like did somebody schedule a demo? Did somebody submit their email address? That then influences back to the website what gets shown. And so you have them uh, connecting throughout the journey. We have other folks doing that on email where, oh, someone saw the value-based messaging on the website. Let's send a signal to the email management system that they've had already in-house to send a string of emails that it's using AI to figure out, hey, when should we send them about value? And then when somebody clicks on one of those emails to land back at the website, using the UTM parameters that we've all probably instrumented for our own analytics to better personalize the website to connect to the messaging somebody saw in the email. So we see a bunch of these systems being interconnected. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like you have an AI managing other AIs in an A-B testing scenario almost, and at some point it's going to say, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> you, need give, you need to hire some more chatbots because I got to fire these two. They're not pulling their weight. Um, <laughs> you're running, a, it tur turns into a whole AI to hire AI to hire a whole, AI. <laughs> uh, yeah, virtual company of AI management team, um, kind of there. That's, that's very interesting. Should people to that end name their AI? If you have a chatbot, should you get a name like Steve or Darcy or some, uh, a, a human name? Guy. Hi guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard hi guy before ever. <laughs> and uh, one humble marketer's opinion, I think the answer to your question, Sky, is how much or little you like humanizing your brand. Uh, I happen to be a big believer in humanizing B2B brands and bringing consumer-like emotion to B2B storytelling. I think it's often too dry, but that's opinion of one. Um, some other things we have seen B2B marketers use AI to do online that has worked really well for them um, have been to sort of like manufacture serendipity. We've seen some B2B marketers say, hey, um, somebody landed on my website. I'm then going to go use a third party to go figure out what company are they with. I'm going to use reverse IP lookup to say, oh, they came from Intellimize's office. Okay. Right. <clears throat> then I'm going to go look across all my customers and change up my logo farm that I might have on my homepage or some oh, landing page and put Oh, you know what? Let's pretend airlines for a minute. Uh, JetBlue showed up at my site. Well, you know what? I've got eight logos in my logo farm. Magically, I'm going to put United, Delta, and whatever, Southwest, you know, in, in that list. So that serendipitously, my competitive juices start flowing. Or we've seen them do industry-specific case studies, also based on that reverse IP Yeah, logo. I could see that. I feel like you could um, also do something like... Um, my company provides data. You could do something saying, okay, you got website visitor tracking. We know who this person is. Now let's get the information on them and use that information to cater their experience on the site. We know what their industry is, what the company size is now, but also we know what their LinkedIn profile is. So let's go look at their LinkedIn profile, see who they're connected to that we're connected to and maybe say, hey, by the way, also you could have AI pointing out shared connections maybe between your company and their company. I noticed you're connected with so-and-so who also works with us and um, almost use them as a, um, as a referral just by, you know, name drop people they know. Or, or It just seems like there's so much you can do once you have, so there's the data that creates the AI, right? Or that it, it makes its intelligent decisions on, but then there's all the other data that it can use to, um, to cater its messaging, to personalize, which is 
kind of different because it's not going to learn from that, right? It's, it's just going to use it. It's going to act on it. I'm with you very much on that. And the higher principle that you're talking about, about meeting your prospects or your customers, where they are in their journey with you, where they are in their funnel with you, uh, we see that principle over and over and over again working really well. And then to the specific example you gave, we see a bunch of our customers um, thinking to themselves, where's the line of creepiness now? For example, if you said to me, hey, guy, we're connected through ABC, because I just clicked on an email that was addressed to me, that might feel fine. Because I know that email was addressed to me. Right. If, on the other hand, I showed up at your website randomly and you said those same things, I think most marketers today would say that's creepy. Same technology in both cases, but one feels uh, more in the norm today than not. And that, in my humble opinion, is a subjective judgment. You know, uh, roll back the clock 10 years to say, you know what? Sky, you're going to see a different version of Acme.com than KJ will. People would say, what are you talking about? But now I think we've all gotten more accustomed to that. I mean, no small part, in my humble opinion, because of Amazon and Netflix, right? Every time you show up, it's different. Um, that that's now more acceptable. And I think, you know, uh, we will, as marketers, each need to make that judgment each time. Like that logo example, I didn't say all eight were airlines because that would seem creepy. If three were airlines, that seems serendipitous. Yeah, yeah. I guess if you walk into a bar that you've never been in before to order a drink and the guy says, do you want the regular? I've already poured it for you. Here it is. Do you want two olives or three in this one? Could freak you out a little bit. But if it's a place you go to regularly and he just says, hey, same thing, wasn't it this? Not so bad. Um, I guess in the same vein, I remember I read a book a while back. I don't remember the name of it, but uh, it's called like What If or, or something like that. And there was a, a guy much like you with a very high pedigree of, uh, I think he worked in aerospace as well. And he would answer people's bizarre questions. And one of them was about uh, just dialing random numbers and saying, bless you for somebody sneezing. Um, and how many times would you have to do that before you got somebody who just sneezed and blew their mind? And uh, it dawns on me that you could do a much simpler version to, you know, to in, induce the creepiness factor with AI. If somebody was on a live chat and you just said, nice hat, that's my favorite color, by the way. Um, some, a, a good portion of people would actually be wearing a hat and would freak out thinking that the, the chatbot was looking at them. And, <laughs> and now why would you do that though? Just to creep people <laughs> to prove out. prove a point. <laughs> You're a creepy side. <laughs> Find out which it's people get creeped out and turn down the AI on them. That's why you add it to their profile and say, hey, turn it down a little on this guy. He's paranoid. And Sky, to what you said earlier, I think you hit on something where you said, hey, look, this is not the AI itself. This is other data. At least in the examples I've seen, that's been true. Like we could have shown the eight airline logos irrespective of AI. Uh, and so it's our choice as marketers, how we use the data we've already got. What we've seen our customers do is then use AI to figure out, look, is the competitors in the logo thing at all worth doing? Interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah for some, so, it might be complete turnoff. Like I don't want them working on my account if they worked on, you know, my major competitor. No way. So you're saying the creepiness factor comes in more from the third party data from what AI knows from its own, from itself. It's from what it's being fed about that specific person from companies like us that have information on, on people and where they work and whatnot. At least in my experience, yes, that is generally where I see it coming up. And then it's up to us as marketers to decide how we want to use that data. Until it starts actually looking at you through the camera and commenting on it. Then the AI is making itself creepy. <laughs> 
until then, it's <laughs> third-party data that's uh, that's really pulling the the creep strings or not. Hey, I, um, I have a a, quote, a final question or one of the final questions. I'm just curious, where do you see AI going in marketing in the next five to ten years? Gosh, it is changing so rapidly that ten years feels like a long time. I know, um, I know. I said right after I said that, I thought, yeah, no. How about three to five years? <laughs> I do find it broadly stereotyping, starting with automating a bunch of stuff. You know, like like RAI. In addition to making some very thoughtful, higher level decisions, there's some rote work that it helps eliminate from folks. And I see that applied yep. in a bunch of places, right throughout Let the market. Let us be creative. Stack. Handle the automation. Then the next thing is that, yes. I, I think so, that it would automate rote work, then it would make some mid-level logical decisions, and then above that, it could genuinely be creative. And I think we've seen precious few, if any, examples up here at that top level where it's truly being creative on its own. That's where I think we are uniquely great at doing that as humans, and we're a long way away from, you know, AI-driven empathy. Uh, someone out there may be working I on it. I agree with wrong. you on that. No, I agree with you on that. I did a uh, interview with a journalist. I don't know, maybe a while back, um, who writes for I think it was Ad Week or this. So that was talking about AI and PR, and you know how would you handle crises if you used AI and PR? And I said there's such nuances, you know, of people when they're when you're looking online at certain um, feelings and emotions and stuff that AI is just not sophisticated enough to figure that out and it could be a make or break point a lot That's of people aren't really need to I mean, you look at things yeah, like poker players their job is to read people and try to figure things out and it's, right you're trying to get it right a percentage of the time for ai to try to read people's emotions and figure out humans yeah we haven't figured it out we're not close yet i mean so, you know it, when ai <laughs> can read all of those nuances and sarcasticness and I, you know things right. like that more power to you british humor good luck ai <laughs> <laughs> That's how you no, get they a were being robot sarcastic. head to explode. They were not yes, being yeah. enthusiastic. You, know? <laughs> you show the robot Monty Python, its head explodes. It doesn't know how to process it. It occurs to me that uh, I remember talking a while back with Scott Brinker of MarTech, and it was about MarTech, which has a lot of programming AI type stuff in it. And he uh, analogized it to the Sorcerer's Apprentice, where um, you know, getting back to what you said about a human has to be involved in it. When you think you can just set it and walk away and it's going to do all your job for you, it makes this, this giant mess in, in, instead. I think we're just about out of time here. Guy, anything Damn else it. you want to throw out about? I know there's, there's, there's so much to cover in AI. I'm back. I, mean, I'm back. I noticed you said 10 years. We're not going to be at the marketing singularity in 10 years, you said. There's, there's plenty to be done still. That's good. The Terminator has arrived and we're gone. That's no what's happening. No more Terminator talk. <laughs> Uh, any anything else to throw out there um to throw out there guy uh i truly do believe that ai can help us get more done deliver more value for our, our companies and produce better experiences for our customers and prospects and i think you know hopefully discussions like this one help each one of us be better consumers of it uh, so that we can go achieve all of those goals i agree with you that's a really good way to end this to find out more about, I guess, the, the title of this episode, Practical AI for B2B Marketing, um, it's still always a bit deep, but to find out more about how to implement AI in your B2B marketing, of course, Intellimize is great at that. Check them out at uh, Intellimize.com. We'll have that in the, in the show notes, but it's spelled just 
how you think it would be. So check out the show notes for that, I-N-T-E-L-L-I-M-I-Z-E.com. I go ahead and spell it out anyway. Guy, anywhere else, uh, anything else you want to throw out there for the, for the listeners? Gratitude to you and KJ for having me on. It was a joy to talk with you and uh, honor to join you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Guy. Yeah, fantastic having you on, Guy. We'd love to have you again. Um, so much always to dig into this now that we've got the all the Terminator talk out of the way. Um, <laughs> so I would enjoy connecting again. Yeah, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please do share us on social media. Um, tell your friends and colleagues about the Iffy Market podcast. Give us a good review on iTunes. And uh, on behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the Iffy Market team and Guy Yaleef of Intellimice, thank you for listening to the Iffy Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with AI, they will come. The Iffy Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data. And at Mountaintop Data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality, depth, and coverage of our clients' targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.